You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. There we go. We'll try. Thank you. Good. It is great to be here. If I haven't met you, my name is Brian, and I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and you do because they're right in front of you, Acts chapter 2, we're going to be continuing the series that we're in, uh, this encounter series, and the very end of Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, is where we'll be today. I want to ask you a question as we get started, as you turn there in the the Bible. Uh, Have you ever felt alone? Like really alone? I'm not talking about like some of you are raging extroverts and you feel alone like when you go to the bathroom. I'm not talking about that. Like, I'm, ta- I'm talking about really alone. Maybe, maybe it was a time in your life when you really wanted something and you didn't get it and you didn't feel like anybody really understood that real desire you had. Or maybe it was a time in your life when you wanted something and you got it. And then you realized it really wasn't at all what you had thought or hoped. Maybe it was a time in your life where where something happened to you that was out of your control and you just felt like nobody else understood what it was like to be in that moment. Or maybe for some of you, it's that time when somebody betrayed you, maybe a friend or somebody you thought you could trust. And that led you to ask all these questions about all these other relationships that you have and you felt really alone. Maybe for some, in a room this size, undoubtedly, Some of you maybe are going through something right now and you're not sure you can share that with anybody else. So you feel really alone in that. Maybe for some, if we're honest, maybe there's a habit that we have or a sin, an action that we can't seem to get control of and it's got control of us and, and we have so much guilt and shame over that, we're not sure that we can share that with anybody, especially maybe here because we're afraid of what might happen if we talk about it. Maybe you feel really alone. I remember one of the times in my life when I felt the most alone. I was standing on a street in downtown Chicago and I got a phone call, the kind of phone call you never want to get. So I pick up the phone, I answer the phone, it's my wife telling me that she and my four children who were very young at the time had been in a terrible automobile accident on the expressway in Kansas City. And and the short of it is they wound up upside down in the middle of the expressway, uh, the van landed on its roof. um, And we knew almost no one in Kansas City. We had just moved there a couple weeks before. We left Maryland where we'd had a, a place that was really home for us, a place that was really family in many, many ways, a place where we were serving in a church that was just a great fit for us in all these ways. But we felt like God was inviting us to this new opportunity. And so we had tried to live in obedience and moved to Kansas City. And here it was. We'd only been there a few weeks. I was out of town already on a business trip. And they were in this terrible accident. And my wife is telling me on the phone, They're loading our kids right now into the ambulance to go to the hospital. I've denied treatment of myself so I can go with them. You need to get back home. Felt pretty alone. As you can imagine, I I rushed to the airport, got the first flight that I possibly could from Kansas City or from Chicago to Kansas City. And and it's a Southwest flight. And I don't know if you've ever flown Southwest before, but you kind of get to pick your own seat, you know. And so I just, I don't know how it worked out, but I wound up in the very front row of the plane and nobody sat by me. I don't know why. Maybe I was putting off a vibe of some kind. I don't know. 
But I'm sitting there all by myself, and just the seconds, every second felt like an hour. It just, it wasn't that long of a flight, an hour and a half or something, but it just, it felt so long, and I'm sitting there by myself, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, you, you led us to this place, and here we are all alone. We don't really know anybody. God, did, did you just do this so that we would be alone? Is there another way? Do I have to do this alone? Now, some of you are saying, well, Brian, we just got back from break, and now this is really depressing. Thank you very much. Um, but stay with me. Don't leave yet. If you, if you have your text open, if you could turn there with me. It'll be on the screen as well uh, from the NIV, verse 42. They devoted themselves, talking about uh, the, these followers, early followers of Jesus, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? God, thank you for this moment, for this time, for this space for this community, for these people. God, I pray that you would help us all to be particularly open and sensitive to your spirit and what you would teach and show us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just to remind us a little bit where we are in the story. So these followers of Jesus, these people who have left everything to follow Jesus, had followed him and all the way to his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and then he was raised from the dead and they got to kind of walk with him for a for a little while in the midst of that, hey, we kind of win. This is great. And then Jesus ascends to heaven and leaves them, and they really don't know what they should be doing. Of course, there were some clues along the way. Acts 1.8, Jesus tells them, you will, be, you will be filled with my power, right? You will receive this power of the Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So they knew something was coming, but they didn't really know what. And so they're kind of going back to sort of normal life. And so um, where they find themselves is in Jerusalem, because this is one of the three big festivals that all good Jewish people would go to. Uh, they would try their best to get to the temple, to get to Jerusalem for every one of these three festivals. This is one of them, the festival of Pentecost, or the festival of weeks, as they called it. And so there are people from all over there. People, thousands of people, people from all over the world, people who speak different languages, people who believe different things politically, people who, they're all together here. And then it tells us about the story about how the disciples, the apostles were in this upper room and God's spirit comes. And we talked about that, Kaylin talked about that last week. And so this movement of God begins and then they can't help but go out and begin to share this. And so they go out to the temple courts where all of these people are from all over the world and they begin to share about Jesus. And remember, everybody hears it in their own language. And it's this transformational moment, this moment of encounter. See what I did there? This moment of encounter where God begins to move in his people. Now, in the midst of this, I just want you to, to catch this, just make sure you're getting this. The crowd that was there, even though they were all there to worship God, they come from all different kinds of places, and they have all different kinds of views about life and politics and everything else. Just try to imagine if you could, it would be really hard, but try to imagine what it would be like to be in a room, say, with maybe a thousand plus people in it. 
who were all there sort of for the same reason, but maybe they didn't all agree on everything. Can you imagine what that would be like? Yeah, say yes, because that's chapel, right? So you're here, right? And whether you realize it or not, there are people in here who think differently than you do. Yes, right? Of course you know that. And so in this moment, God meets them right at this spot, right where they are, and then they do something amazing. They come together. Now, I want you to, to understand this. God still moves. 94% of Americans in an anonymous survey, 94% say that they have had a significant encounter with God at some point in their life. And do you know that over half of those people have never shared that God encounter with anybody else? Here, they have this incredible encounter and they can't help but tell people about it and then because of the wonder, because of this sense that God's up to something, then, then they come together. This is a really important moment. I don't know who the kind of person you are, but some of us, when we have significant things happen in our lives, we can't help it. We, we feel like we kind of isolate ourselves and we want to take our own time and process and we seal everybody else off. But what God's community does in this moment is they come together. Asbury, can I say, God still speaks. He's still moving and he still wants us to come together. Now, there are a lot of obstacles to that in our particular world, and I don't want to spend a long time on this, but you know this. Have you ever seen this before? A group of people together, all on their phones. Have you seen this before? Right? Not talking to anybody, but there. So these things, of course, are great helps, but they're also great hindrances to community, great hindrances to us being together, of course. We know that. Two years ago, a study done said that 89% of people, when they were out together with friends, got out their phone in the midst of the conversation. 89%, okay? And then interestingly, of those people, over 80% of them said, not only did I get my phone out, but I noticed when I got my phone out that the conversation took a negative turn once I took, got the phone out. And we know all kinds of things about these. The more we use these, the more our empathy levels, the ways that we care about people goes down. We know that. It's from research. It's very clear. But yet we still pick them up and we still use them, right? I use it. You use it. We do, right? And so I'm not here just to bash phones, but part of what I want to get to today is just this reality that there's all these obstacles that get in the way of us coming together. And so I think there's some things in this text that can help us see how God would want us to act and behave. And so there are four things. So everybody, in good Dr. Bounds fashion, hold up four fingers. Come on, everybody hold up four fingers. Okay, four things I want you to get today that I think that, that we can see in this text that God wants us to do. So hold up your first finger, please. Number one is this, that what they did is they devoted themselves to be more like Jesus. The scripture, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What were the apostles' teaching? They were just talking about Jesus. They were telling people about who Jesus was. And what did it mean for them to have this fellowship? It was this coming together as best they could to live like Jesus. It's fascinating. In a world that acts less and less like Jesus, it's amazing to me how many people, even if they're not Christian, would say, you know what? If people would actually act like Jesus, then this world would be a better place. I don't know if you believe that's true or not, but I sure do. And I think a lot of people around us would, would wonder, what if we acted like Jesus? Now, one of the questions is, how do we know how Jesus acts? <laughs> well, 
one of the ways we know is actually reading the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? But actually going through and, and reading the text itself and finding out what Jesus did and what he said and how he behaved. Maybe a challenge for you this semester is to pick up the Bible. I know we've been around the Bible. I know we have the Bible on our phones and all the rest of that. But you know what's true? I'll say it's true of people I know, I think true of most of us in here, because we have such easy access to the Bible, we just don't value it that much. And so maybe the challenge is for us to come together and start reading the text and taking it seriously. So maybe a challenge would be that you would read through Acts together with us this semester. Or maybe you'd pick up one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just read through as it talks about who Jesus is and what what he said and what he did. But here's the thing, we can't do this alone. We have to have other people to do this together. If you're an athlete in here, if you're a musician, if you've spent any time disciplined at a specific thing, you know how it works. You have to have other people holding you accountable. And just that, that reality that we know somebody else is there can help us get through the hard times when we don't feel like it, right? And so one of the challenges for us, I think, is to come together with others who can help us do that. Number two, hold up number two, please. Hold up number two. Great. As they listened and cared for each other, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, everything in common doesn't mean that they believed everything the exact same way. It doesn't mean that they had the same view of the world or politics or anything else. It's talking about their physical, they were willing to share everything that they had. And this is a a really interesting thing in our world today where we don't listen. In fact, all we do mostly is just if, if we're honest, is we just kind of wait around for our turn to talk. It's kind of interesting as we watch this in a, a variety of contexts and ways in our particular world. We see this politically, we see this religious, all these kinds of different environments. We just talk at each other and we don't really listen. There's a family, a, a dad who's really busy, uh, busy at work, a lot going on, had a lot of other things going on in their life super busy, and so he was just felt really overwhelmed. And so in the midst of things, he was kind of snapping at his family. He was kind of losing his temper quickly with them when he was home, and he wasn't home all that much. And he had a little girl who was in elementary school, and she came up to him and she said, Dad, Dad, I want to tell you something, and I promise you I'll, tell it, I'll talk really fast so that I know you're busy, so I'll talk really fast. And so this kind of breaks his heart, and he says, okay, okay, no, no, no. You can take your time. You can talk slowly. I will listen to you. And she says, well, if, if you're willing to let me talk slowly, then you have to listen slowly. <laughs> Some of us need to learn to listen slowly, yeah? Where we really are present with one another. Of course, this isn't a new problem. Franklin Roosevelt, the 32nd president of the United States, the story goes that he hated these receiving lines he had to be in. So, you know, people want to meet the president. And so they have to be in these lines where they stand and people come down the line and greet them. And he hated them, not because he didn't like to meet people, but because he said, nobody actually listens to me, no matter what I say in those receiving lines. Nobody actually listens to a word I say. He said, so I'm going to test this. And so he decided one day he was just going to, for the entire receiving line, when he greeted people, he was just going to say this. I had my grandmother killed last night. That's what he said, all right? So all night, he's just shaking people's hands. I had my grandmother killed last night. Oh, that's so great. We're so proud of you. We're with you. We're, you know, we support your decisions. We support your policies. Like, they weren't listening at all the whole night. And finally, the very end of the line, story goes that the ambassador from Bolivia was there. And 
president says, I had my grandmother killed last night. And as he's shaking his hand, the ambassador to Bolivia leans in close and says, well, I'm sure she had it coming, right? And <laughs> keeps going, right? So, but the reality is we simply don't listen. All the freshmen here are reading a book called How to Think by Alan Jacobs. And whether they like it or not, I think it's a really appropriate book. And one of the things that's really good in it, it he begins really by talking about our inability to listen. And so um, my liberal arts class, we were talking about why, what makes it hard for people to listen to each other, especially people who think differently. And somebody said it, just they nailed it on the head. They said, because we think we already know what they're going to say. <laughs> and in a world where we think we know what the other side is going to say, and we don't even bother to pay attention and listen, we don't even bother to receive people as people, we just kind of talk ideology at ideology. What I think our world needs more than anything is for us to listen and care. And what if that started with us right here in this room? Remember who's in this place where all of this is happening. It's these people from all over the country, all over the world, people who speak different languages, have all these different thoughts and ideologies and ideas, and somehow they are able to come together and share what they have, even though they know at some things they simply don't agree. Hold up number three, the third thing that we see happening here is the church sees a need and does something about it. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The story goes that two families were on their way to church one Sunday, and they were both kind of running behind. If you have a family, if you have a lot of kids in your family, you know what that's like. You're trying to get everybody in, and they're on their way to church, and the first family's driving, and the daughter says to dad, 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 look over there. There's a family there. They... Their, their car broke down, they, they have a flat tire, and they need some help. And dad says, oh, we, we got to get to church on time. Jesus would want us to go to church. The second family's coming along. <laughs> the son says, dad, 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 look, look, there's a family there. They need some help. They've got a flat tire. They don't look like they know what they're doing. And dad immediately pulls over and stops. And the son says, but dad, we're going to be late to church. And the dad says, Jesus would want us to help those in need. Yeah. The reality is we need more people who, when they see a need, will do something. We live in a world that we talk about this all the time. Somebody ought to pick up that trash. Somebody ought to fix that thing. Somebody ought to help that person in need. Somebody ought to be nice to that person who's going through. Somebody, maybe, maybe, Asbury, maybe you are that somebody. So I told this story as I started about this moment in my life, this tragedy in my life. So I get to the airport in Kansas City. I rent a minivan because I have four kids and it's a lot of people. And I, I've got to figure out how to get them home from the hospital. And I get to the hospital as soon as I can and, and praise God. I, I honestly believe it was a miracle of God that none of them were significantly hurt other than some cuts and bruises and things, but there was no significant injuries. It's really, really is a miracle. And so we, I take them home try to sleep a little bit that night. The next morning we get up, my wife has a terrible headache and she's got a big bump on her head that seems to be growing and so we're a little concerned. She had denied health care the night before so we take her into the emergency room, take her to the hospital. So I got all these kids loaded up and we go. Now, where, 
my wife and kids were headed that night was to visit a small group at this church that we'd been to two times. They'd never met anyone in this small group, but they'd been invited to go by one of the pastors, and they said, this would be a great small group for you. So they were on their way to try it out. Never met them one time. Somehow, I still don't know how, the couple whose house the small group was in, who were kind of leading it, they found out about the accident. Really have no idea how. They'd never met us before. They couldn't get a hold of us. Carol's phone was lost in the accident. So they had no way of really getting a hold of us or anything else. So the, the wife, Ansie, she drives to our house. And we were gone. We were at the emergency room. And apparently in our rush, we had walked out the front door and not locked it. So she comes to our house. We're not there. She comes inside. She sees a kind of a bit of a disaster of a house, as you might imagine. She comes in. She washes all the dishes in the sink. She tidies up the house. She vacuums. <laughs> she leaves toys for my kids and a note. And then she leaves before we get back. Now, she could have said, man, how would they receive me walking into their house? I've never even seen these people in person before in my life. I don't even know who they are. I probably shouldn't do anything. But instead, she chose to take a risk, and she walked into our house and did these things. And you might imagine how we felt coming in. At first, it was like, whoa, somebody's been here. That's weird. But then, right, then this moment like, oh, my goodness, somebody cares for us in ways that we didn't even know to ask for. We didn't even know somebody to ask to do this. And somehow somebody saw a need and stepped forward and did something. Look, what, what it takes, I think, it, it isn't always stepping on somebody's toes, but just offering to help will say a lot. Can I say to you, most of the time, what people need more than anything else than for you to fix their problems is for you just to walk alongside them, to be with them. What would it look like if our community was known as a group of people who, when they saw a need, they did something about it? And then number four, hold up number four. Please and thank you. Good. Commit to being together. Every day they continue to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What our world does not get, what they don't understand when they see it lived out, is people who are willing despite our other differences, to somehow commit to coming together around Jesus, commit to being in the same space. What does this look like? Well, I'm just going to challenge you. You probably know some people, maybe even sitting next to you right now, who might see the world differently than you do. But can I challenge you to try to have lunch or dinner or coffee with somebody? Maybe even this week where you just sit down with somebody you know you see the world differently and just spend time together? What if we were known as a community that actually cared enough about people that we would sit down together? What if you actually went to your gather tonight? Right? And I know some of you are like, but there's that one guy on the hall who's like, he knows everything and I don't like the way he sees scripture and he's always talking. Yeah, yep, 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 he'll be there. She'll be there, yep, yep. But so should you. Show up. Be a part. Join in a community that makes a difference, not because of the words they say, but because of the way they live this life. 
The band's going to come. I'm going to wrap up. Here's the thing. There are lots of people in Wilmore, lots of people on this campus, lots of people and staff and faculty, lots of students here that have been praying and will pray for revival here. I'm one of those people. I pray for that. I pray that God would move in a mighty way again on this campus and through this campus. But can I just tell you, one of the things that I'm 100% sure about is that what the world will pay attention to is not your words. What the world needs is not more social media posts. It doesn't need more t-shirts. It doesn't need more bumper stickers. It doesn't need more cool coffee cups. It doesn't need more snarky little comments here and there. It doesn't need you to prove a point. It doesn't need your words. If you want to know what will make a difference in the world, it starts with our choice to live in community even with people we don't always see eye to eye with. It starts with this kind of community that the Holy Spirit inhabits somehow in the midst of our differences when we choose and commit to coming together again and again and again and again. In Jesus, the Word became flesh. Somebody joked that evangelicals took the Word and put it back, the flesh and put it back into words again. <laughs> and there's a sense that that's true, like we talk and talk and talk, but I wonder what would it look like if we as Christians decided, forget the just talking about it, let's live this out. And here's what I know. I can't help believe it. You see it in the text, what happened with them. People had no idea what to do with all of these people who came together. People had no idea what to do with them, who came together in safety, who came together in concern and care, who were willing to give up things for each other because they cared and because they were pursuing Jesus. I guarantee the world today will have no idea what to do with a community that will do that. No idea what to do when the person who feels so alone right now has the courage to step forward and say, you know what, I know that I, 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 I'm doing some things that maybe you, I'm not proud of, maybe some of you aren't proud of, maybe aren't as very appropriate in whatever way, but you know what, I, I'm tired of doing this alone, I need some help, and some people would come around them in ways that would be true and safe and loving and caring. What if we were the kind of place where people who totally disagreed politically, what if like Republicans and Democrats got together, got together, and actually cared for each other and looked out for each other's needs in the name of Jesus. I can tell you what would happen. The world would be a different place. The world would be transformed. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to move past just words. We say this word community often at Asbury, and, and, I, and we mean it well. We, we mean the right kind of community, but God, I pray that you would help us starting with each one of us, starting with me, starting with each person in each seat to move past just words and invite us into this place where we start to live out day by day, step by step, caring for each other. That's the kind of community you long for, you've created us for, and your spirit empowers us to live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Will you stand and sing?